0: Welcome to Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology that are transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're going to talk about food. For many of us, the first visible sign of the pandemic happened at the grocery store. Shelves that were usually bursting with merchandise started to empty.
1: Store shelves
0: nationwide are dwindling or totally empty. Coronavirus-fueled panic buying. Empty shelves. For days, this has been the picture of America. Showed up today and it's just chaos. There's a huge line to get toilet paper. The ridiculous spectacle of people buying ludicrous amounts of toilet paper dominated discussion, but real cracks in the food system started to show. Global supply chains were disrupted. International trade slowed. And major food providers, like the meat industry, were badly disrupted after outbreaks' sidelined workers. Others are halting work at factories within China, which can deal a serious blow to the global supply chain. Local grocery stores and workers there remain very much on the front lines in this coronavirus fight. That had people looking to buy local, but even there, problems arose. Towns and cities shut down farmers markets, cutting off a major source of revenue for local producers. So we ended up with people wanting to buy more local, but farmers had no place to sell. So James Jun and Michael Mastrella came up with a solution. They're the founders of FreshFind. It's a web store that allows local people to buy local products more easily. It's a simple idea with powerful possibilities. You know, there are consumers that are willing to
2: buy local if it was delivered to their door. For example, these farmers markets don't have delivery. A lot of them, 99% of them didn't have delivery.
0: Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn more about Fresh Fine and why James and Michael believe it's the future of online shopping. What was the genesis of Fresh Find? What problem were you trying to solve?
2: Yeah, for sure. So Mike and I were participating in a hackathon run by DMZ just this past April when COVID was starting to become a real thing and one of the challenges they posed at the hackathon was that our local farmers in ontario especially the ones around the Barrie region um, had all this produce coming in for the season so they were about to harvest for the beginning of the summer farmers market season and with all the covid restrictions they realized these markets were going to be shut down Um, the restaurants were going to be shut down so they had no real place to sell their goods so the farmers market needed an online solution to sell their stuff. So we started to get together and build the software solution for them. And that's how it started.
0: So in terms of developing that software solution, trying to connect all those producers with all those potential customers, there's a lot of logistics to manage there. So how difficult was it to create a front end that was easy to use for everyone involved?
2: Yeah, for sure. That's. I think that's exactly why Mike and I spent the first two months we almost spent the entire time designing so just starting from you know scratch uh, we went to the drawing board and basically said hey like if we wanted to make this platform as simple as possible for the producers and the markets to upload their stuff upload their goods and then for the customers to access those goods like how do we make it uh, in terms of design the simplest as possible for them to use so we you know we we use this drawing sketch software called uh, sketch and we started drawing it out page by page and the focus was basically making it as easy as possible for the producer to you know create an online shop and to be able to list their products what they have and to be able to manage their inventory and then for them to be able to spin this online store up within a matter of minutes um, and then they could share it with their customers, uh, they could share it with their social media channels, and instantly the customers would be able to have this, you know, beautiful access to, a, to an online store, much like a shopping experience they would experience at corporations like Amazon and Shopify. Um, and, and that was the idea, to make it as simple as possible.
0: So when it finally went live, were there things that you didn't anticipate needing? Like what were the problems you discovered along the way?
2: Yeah, for sure. So what ended up happening was we had the bulk of the design done, but we didn't know the intricacies of what, what the challenges were going to be. So what happened was Mike and I got in touch with a farmer's market out in Kingston, who was, you know, who we, we connected with the market manager there named Ruthie. And Ruthie knew what we were doing and what we were designing and that we were building this software from from scratch. And we ended up going out to Kingston for about a month. Um, We looked up a local listing for a two-bedroom apartment. Um, Mike and I rented it out and uh, basically camped out there for 30 days working with the market. You know, day to day, Um, we would go visit the market to work with Ruthie and all the vendors there during the day. We would literally watch them do these, you know, transactions with customers and um, figure out exactly which points, uh, which parts of the transaction and their day to day process can be improved with software, with technology. Which parts can we automate? Which parts can we digitize? So we watched them. We would watch them for hours every day while we're at the market. And then we would. We'd come back to our home base at night and we would basically turn it into code. Um, we would uh, mm. get together and write out software uh, that would basically help solve all those little issues that we saw happen during the day. And then we would bring it back the next morning and let them try it out. Um, and then we would basically repeat this cycle for, you know, for four weeks.
0: You know, I'm really impressed. You took Fresh Find from an idea to an actual product in less than a year. How are you able to do this so quickly? So seemingly so quickly?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely hasn't been quick. Uh, we spent a lot of long nights, a lot of, you know, 100 plus hour weeks um, working on it. So mm. I think that that's part of why it got done so quickly is just we really put in the hours. And, you know, I have a big bit of background designing these kinds of uh, systems. So that that's helped as well.
0: You know, the other thing too is that you started on this process right as COVID hit. And now all of a sudden, supply chains that were once so dependent on international trade started to slow down. Uh, the focus on local suddenly became so critically important. So how did that fact change the development process for Fresh Find?
2: Yeah, so funnily enough, I think Mike's been talking about localizing consumption. Um, years back. So a couple of years ago, I remember Mike talking about this, you know, creating an Alibaba for the local environment, basically. Um, and I think mm. on a macro level, consumers are starting to desire that a little bit. They're wanting local and COVID was just a sort of a wake-up call and an event that kind of triggered that wake-up call. But people are looking for solutions, you know, to to buy more local and to support local. But at the same time, having said that, I think people prefer convenience a lot like more than we think so even if you know a local good was accessible maybe it's only accessible at a physical location once a week versus an Amazon delivering it literally that night so even even if there was a local option available i think it has to be competitive in terms of accessibility and that convenience for the consumer for them to actually make a change in in uh, choosing local over, over the global.
0: You know, consumers have become very used to same day delivery or 24 hour delivery thanks to Amazon pouring billions and billions of dollars into their fulfillment centers. And, you know, people say they want to buy local, but they also want their stuff now. And I just wonder, how do you manage those kinds of customer expectations when you're trying to build a locally sourced product?
2: Yeah, so I think the reason why the farmers markets, the model has existed up till now, and it's it's actually been an increasing trend as well. So if you look at the number of farmers markets in North America since the 60s, it's been steadily increasing. And people are actually going out to more farmers' markets. Um, but so I think that threshold is you know going to a physical place uh, once a week and being able to access those local goods. There are consumers out there who are willing to do that, who are willing to drive out there and access those goods. Um, But having said that, I think there's a huge part of the market where that's not captured. You know, there are consumers that are willing to buy local if it was delivered to their door. For example, these farmers markets don't have delivery. A lot of them, 99% of them didn't have delivery uh, before this year. Some of them have picked up uh, this year due to COVID. Um, But the fact is there are people out there who are willing to, you know, buy. So it's more about the untapped market. Um, the untapped part of this, the society that would buy local if it was delivered to them, if it was next day delivery, rather than trying to see that threshold where the global becomes more attractive than the local.
0: How scalable do you think this solution is? Uh, you've developed this first version for an area around Southern Ontario. Uh, do you think this would work in other parts of the world? Yeah, we we definitely think so.
1: There's also demand in Europe right now for our product. We have a a partner in Spain who's looking to roll out the platform across Spain and um, into Europe. After that, so I I do think that this is a model that is scalable, not just across North America but across the whole globe. Um, You know, farmers markets have existed for thousands of years. uh, You know, probably since humans first started producing. You know, agriculture. So. Yeah, I think, I think it's a scalable model and it's one that exists everywhere, even, even very rural areas of the world.
0: You know, earlier you mentioned that you've become more interested in the idea of, you know, kind of reorienting our purchasing decisions to a more local model. What spurred your interest in that issue? I was
1: going to Alibaba, uh, a Chinese website to find goods that I knew were being produced somewhere much closer than China. Because there was not really a solution to find those goods somewhere closer. I started a business a couple of years back where we were selling straws made out of straw. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Weed is grown in North America, but I couldn't find people selling stocks to use as drinking straws, which is what we were trying to do with our business. And yeah, that was a big part of why I first was talking to James about that particular idea, because that's something that I knew was being produced pretty locally, like probably within a hundred kilometers, you could find people growing wheat, but this product was only found in China because of just a lack of access and a lack of uh, a platform for searching these kinds of products.
0: So all of this started with the Hack the Curve event that was sponsored by Innisfil DMC. How do you think building this business in Innisfil has changed your direction, if at all?
1: Yeah, the DMC Innisfil has been really incredible to work with. A big part of what they do is just connecting us with individuals like yourself and other individuals within the startup network across Canada. And it's it's really a huge help having them there to support us and connecting with these people. And I think, you know, as we grow and we're looking for further investment or funding, things like that, where they have a bit more of a strong suit, probably there'll be a big help for that as well.
0: What about yourself, James?
2: Yeah, I, I would uh, latch onto that and say a similar thing. I think one of the biggest benefits that we've seen is when a particular challenge uh, arises, for example, when we are looking at uh, going to Europe, for example, and starting to open up a branch in Spain, how do we approach those legal and accounting issues that will arise from that? We have no idea. You know, Mike and I don't have a background in internationalizing our business. So when we ran into that, for example, we would reach out to DMZ Innisfil, and they would, uh, you know, make, make connections with some lawyers and um, help us advise on how to approach that best. Um, The second part of that, I think, is the fact that DMZ Ennisville is a little bit outside the GTA. Um, I think the nature of our business, um, we're looking at less urban areas to branch out to. A lot of these farmers markets are um, in locations that are not so urban, which is one of the reasons why we were kind of um, a little hesitant in the beginning, starting a technology business, a software business that reaches more remote cities and remote towns. But I think Innisfil is, is a great place where we can test that model and have a sort of a smaller, uh, less urban environment to really um, hammer down the business model before we branch out and scale to other areas.
0: You know, I'm really interested to hear more about your guy's story. You mentioned that you both come from like technology backgrounds, but when did you start getting interested in entrepreneurialism? Before
2: this business, I had a career in IT sales for about four years um i was selling you know large scale software large scale hardware um telecommunications was one of my biggest clients and i find myself after 3 4 years a little burnt out from the corporate environment you know i was doing all this work day in and out and pretty successful at selling b2b but I really, you know, cliche, I, I I really didn't find any meaning or drive in what I was doing. I had no ownership. I had no say in how to approach things. The environment was just simply too large and rigid. Um, having the, the corporation I was working for was around for 30, 40 years. And it was super hard to make changes within that rigid structure. And then on top of that, I was facing some Personal health issues. I suffered a whiplash back injury from a bungee jumping a while back, and then with all the desk work and oh no, um, all the traveling and you know all the drinking, it it just took a toll on me. So I had to step away <laughs> from that. So last year, when I stepped away, I actually um, set out to become a yoga teacher. So I over over mm. my corporate years, I turned to yoga to you know keep me sane and try to heal my back injury and. I became a yoga teacher, and you know, when I when I started that journey, I started to reconnect with Michael, and I had this desire to create uh, a network platform where I can seek out yoga teachers. So I had this personal problem of wanting to seek out new yoga teachers that I wanted to try out or um, that I wanted to connect with, but there was no platform to do that. So when Mike and I reconnected, we said, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's create this platform, this LinkedIn for wellness and fitness professionals. And and we started building that and we actually built out a product for that until we decided to participate in this hackathon and then just took a pivot. And we started on this journey earlier this year.
0: Mike, what about you?
1: Yeah. So for probably the past decade or so, I've been very interested in just the idea of being able to create things, being able to shape the world. And basically everything you see around you is something that someone else created. So I I was really interested in just being able to build things. For me, it's really a great way to just learn. You really kind of dive into the deep end and you're forced to kind of just sink or swim. And you have to learn all about a whole new industry. You have to learn about new processes, new ways of doing things. You have to connect with people. That's something that has definitely kept me interested in it for as long as it has so far, and probably will keep me interested in it for as long as I keep going. But yeah, I think I think there's no real better way to learn than by doing. And when you're starting to create something by yourself or with a team, you, you really do have to take on a lot of initiative, and you do have to learn a lot of new things, so... Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite things about it.
0: And the other thing you guys did differently, it seems to me, is that you built FreshFind with a lot of consultation with the people that would actually be using it very early on. How did that change your thinking?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times people do spend a bunch of years building things, and then sometimes it turns into nothing. Um, for sure, you still mm. learn from that experience, but if you want to build something that really solves problems and really has lasting power i think it needs to have a built-in user whose problems it solves i know when me and james were first working on that yoga social network uh, it was called movement.bio. it was all about connecting with people who can help you improve your movement improve your connection with your body and i think just yeah i think that's a big part of why we had that mindset to go after a product that people are going to use, because just coming with that, we were doing that ready. We were building a product that James wanted to use himself and that people in his community wanted to use. So I think that mindset was there from the very beginning of starting on this. And I think that really shaped how important it was for us to make sure we were building something for real people.
2: Yeah. And I credit Mike to that. Um, just since day one, um, when we we're working on the yoga app. I think he's always been very adamant about me being the user and always asking me, "Okay, what do you want what do you want as a user? What would you like to see? What are your problems? You know, how can we solve those problems?" And I think the the biggest benefit of approaching a product or anything that you're building that way is let's say even if it, you know, commercially fails, even if it's a real failure, at the end of the day you still have one user. You know, you have created value for that one user, no matter how much it fails, you still have succeeded because for that one person, it's something valuable. It's something that improves their life and it it has created value. So I think when you approach it that way, the biggest attractive point is that there's no pressure of of success or failure because you're building something that you know is going to be useful and you know is creating value.
0: You mentioned earlier, James, that you started on this journey after becoming tired of the corporate environment. I think so many of us feel that way. And at the same time, there's this real desire out there to kind of reconnect with community to find more meaning in our lives. And the question is, it seems to me, is whether technology can actually facilitate that or if it's just necessarily going to be all about giant tech behemoths. I think
1: that's something that me and James talk about a lot, to be completely honest. Um, we do want to make sure that we aren't making something that will make the world worse. And we do have to think a bit far mm-hmm. out into the future in order to to really tackle that and make sure we're building something that will have a positive impact. Because you're, you're completely right, it's very easy for technology to replace connection, replace humans. And I think a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the world today is too much reliance on technology and not putting people first or the environment first or life first it's it's more about efficiency and gathering data and it's definitely a big problem that we're seeing today a lot of disconnection between people like they feel in some ways more connected than ever you can you know at, at the touch of a finger you can message any of the 1000 people that you've talked to over the past 10 years of your life but at the same time the level of that connection might suffer because of the the medium through which you're interacting with each other. Mm. So we we do really want to build mm. something that can enhance the existing system and not replace it. It's 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 hard.
2: I would say I mean technology at the end of the day is a tool, right? It's not something new, you know, when you think about farmers that used to exist ten thousand years ago they were using tools as well they were using technology they were using things that were you know at the forefront of technology um even like a stone was at some point at the forefront of technology right so i think what Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do here is you know provide these small producers and these farmers just another tool for them to make what they're doing easier and for them to be able to buy time from certain laborious tasks, like tracking inventory, like um, being able to advertise what they have available to other people around them. So we're simply providing them tools and focusing on building tools that will help them save time so that they can, they can reallocate the resource. The biggest resources they have is time. So we try to save them that so that they can reallocate that to things they enjoy doing which is which comes down to producing you know a lot of these small producers you know have strong passions about what they're making and they have incredible stories of why they started their businesses and why they're making the things they make uh, they have you know sometimes they have family history around uh, their production or they have personal you know real stories you know we have a vendor who just started selling um, organic dog food And their story is that their their dog, you know, got sick a couple of years ago. And um, after trying out so many different commercially available dog foods, they just couldn't find something that worked. And as soon as they, you know, approached it from a more organic, homemade approach, the dog got a lot better overnight with the food. So for us, Mm -hmm. it's about helping these small producers enjoy more of, of what they do is, you know, focusing on produce- producing those goods and spend less time on other things that can be replaced and that can be made easier with technology.
0: You know, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about trying to connect these larger ideas and values with a very focused solution, because I think it's something you share in common with many of the businesses that are developing in and around Innisfil right now. Do you agree with that? Because it just feels like there's kind of a, a different vibe with the businesses being built there. I definitely get that vibe.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think it's uh, it's a Canadian mindset as well. I think north of the border, mm-hmm. we're a little bit more humanistic. Uh, the, the more miles you have mm-hmm. away from the Silicon Valley, maybe. Um, I think Mike might disagree because he did spend some time down there. Maybe he can uh, shed some more light on that. One of the main
1: differences I find is people down there really want to create trillion dollar businesses and you know hundred billion dollar yeah. businesses when when your focus is trying to create a trillion dollar business there's a little bit less room to think about all the ethics involved with it and think about the impacts aside from the money that you'll be making because you know making it to a trillion dollar goal in itself is already almost impossible you know there's like how many mm-hmm. there's like four companies in the world that have done it so it's something that you know is not easy to do so i think it's just a difference in mindset and i think it you know it, that mindset can be beneficial if uh, if you use the money to drive positive impact but yeah i mean it's, it's just a different mindset i think and I, and I think it's i think what people focus on here is good i think it's important to keep humanity involved in the business you're creating and to really think about, you know, the, the positive impact that your time here can have on the world.
0: Let's wrap up by talking about the future. You're, you're starting to expand FreshFind into Europe uh, right away here. Wh- where do you see this going over the next five or, or even 10 years? To be completely honest, uh, we haven't thought 10
1: years out. We haven't spent too much time thinking about <laughs> 10 years out at this point. Uh, we, do, we do have to focus a lot of our time working on the day-to-day, but I, I think I'm speaking for both of us here, but I think we would both like to see it be a platform that is used around the world within five years, hopefully. I think even at the end of next year, we're hoping to onboard another you know, 100 markets, maybe 30,000 to 100,000 more vendors. So we do want to scale up quickly. We do want to See how this kind of platform will work in different areas of the world and see how the different cultures in these places will have an impact on the platform and what we need to build in order to create something that is, you know, s- scalable to that level.
0: I love that vision. Uh, James, what do you think are going to be the biggest stumbling blocks to achieving that? The biggest stumbling blocks, I would say,
2: is staying focused. So one of the reasons why we are so open to expanding into Spain and Europe so early on in the journey for us is being able to explore that market, explore that society and the culture norms there and to find the commonality uh, between the two continents and the two countries and really drive down and focus on that commonality to build something that's applicable in both places and not just both places, but all around the world we do want to drive down to the core of what it is that people need in terms of localizing consumption and localizing uh, commerce. The reality is that local products are amazing in quality, and they have a high variety as well. So there are small producers out there all around the world making these amazing products. So the question for us is how do we make something simple that helps you know, the small producer, regardless of their location, get it out to consumers near them.
0: Well, that's a great place to leave this, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, what's the best way to contact you guys to learn more about FreshFind?
2: If you're interested in uh, what we've talked about, any part of it, Especially around the mission and what we're doing, I would say don't hesitate to reach out. Please, um, we're always looking for more people to get involved into into what we're doing, and the more help, the better. Especially because uh, people bring different kinds of skill sets. Um, even if you don't think you don't, you have any skill sets, please feel free to reach out.
0: James, Michael, thanks for making time with me. After decades of globalized production, the pandemic has forced us to rethink some basic assumptions. A shift towards local and sustainable is gaining momentum. With the right tools, we may be able to level the playing field so that local producers can compete. FreshFind is one of those tools. You can learn how to connect with Mike and James by clicking the link in the show description for this episode. There, you'll also find bonus content and access to our exclusive weekly newsletter. Innisfil Accelerates is a program sponsored by the town of Innisfil. You can learn more about how they can help support your great business idea at innisfilaccelerates.com.